You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. An Okanagan Mountie is facing a civil lawsuit over a now infamous interview he did back in 2012. Recently released video shows the officer interviewing a young woman who said she had been raped. But his line of questioning drew national outrage. The young woman says she was traumatized and is now suing for damages. Kristen Robinson reports. I mean, he's taking your clothes off. How much of a fight did you put up? The young alleged sexual assault victim grilled. You didn't tell him no when this was going on? No? I didn't say anything. I was too scared. A 17-year-old youth in ministry care when she reported being raped by an acquaintance. Were you at all turned on during this at all, no. even a little bit? No. Physically, you weren't at all responsive to his advances, even maybe um, subconsciously? The indigenous woman seen in this chilling footage now suing RCMP Corporal Kenneth Hall over the March 2012 video interview at the West Kelowna Detachment. She thought she was making a complaint and he brought her there as a suspect. In a civil claim filed in B.C. Supreme Court, the plaintiff alleges the malicious, demeaning, insulting and abusive interrogation was a reckless, misogynistic and arrogant departure from the standard expected of a professionally trained RCMP member. Before this, have you been sexually active in the past? Yes. Okay, a lot, a little bit, not very much. Um, How would you describe The teen allegedly subjected to a brutal, degrading and dehumanizing interrogation for over two hours. It's obvious from anyone objectively looking at that video that the officer's um, conduct was um, egregious and harmful. The claim alleges the conduct Hall directed toward the teen was malicious, repetitive and extreme and calculated to cause intentional physiological harm. The plaintiff suffered mental and physical injury. Yeah, it hurt a lot. It hurt a lot? At the beginning? For the whole thing. The interrogating officer, not doing media interviews, say BCRCMP, whose top cop, Jennifer Strachan, confirmed earlier this month that a fulsome review of the incident is underway. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A warning now about a vicious dog attack at a Richmond Park. A red-blue healer left with serious injuries, and if not for its owner fighting off the other two dogs, he says his dog would be dead. Our Julia Foy is live at Walter Lee Elementary Park with more on what happened. And Julia, there's also concern the dogs are still on the loose. That's what we're concerned about. And it all played out right here on a path around a playground right outside this elementary school where 320 young children attend. Now, it happened late on Tuesday night, just around dusk at 9.30 at night. Now, local resident Ivano Bichego says his four-and-a-half-year-old dog, Kelly, is lucky to have survived a vicious attack by two unleashed pit bull-like canines. He says they came running across the playground so fast, Kelly didn't stand a chance. I just jumped right in the middle of there, and I started punching and kicking one of the dogs that was out of her throat area because he this dog was just shaking my dog to death so i took the buckle and i started swinging hard as i could on the dog that I had her by the throat and finally about after the third hit on the head the dog released and and it gave a chance for my dog to run away 
Now, Bacheco says that Kelly is recovering from deep muscle tissue injuries and she might have to have a surgery. Now, he also alleges that the same dogs may be involved in a similar attack that happened at the same park back in March. Now, Global did reach out to the city of Richmond to see if they had any record of that. Bylaws said at this point they haven't had any complaints, but they're asking the public if you have any concerns about these two pit bulls, uh, either on Tuesday night's attack or the one back in March, to please contact Animal Control. Back to you. All right, Julia Foy in Richmond for us tonight. Thank you, Julia. And also a warning from the BCSPCA to Vancouver area dog owners to make sure pets are vaccinated against parvovirus. That's after at least six dogs from the downtown area were diagnosed recently. Parvovirus, or parvo as it's known, is highly contagious and often fatal. It attacks the gastrointestinal systems of dogs. It can also damage the heart muscle. Puppies and non-vaccinated adult dogs are highly susceptible to the illness. More tonight from the Oscar Arfman murder trial. Arfman pleading not guilty to killing Constable John Davidson in a shootout in Abbotsford back in 2017. Today, the officer who rammed the suspect's vehicle described the chaos that unfolded. And while defense criticized his response, Ramita Dea explains how the officer defended his actions. Constable Sean Alton testified he rammed the suspect vehicle twice to stop it from fleeing. In court Thursday, he identified Oscar Arfman as the man he took down. It was chaos, Alton told the court. He appeared to be stunned. I could see the stock of a rifle, which was a concern. He was covered in blood. He had a large gash across his head, cut to the front of the face. At the time, the officer said he didn't know the suspect had been shot. Alton said he removed folding pocket knives, bullets and a passport from the suspect's pockets. No intoxication noted. Defense is building a case suggesting it wasn't Arfman. It was someone else who killed Constable John Davidson. Defense questioning Alton's decision to engage in a dangerous and risky maneuver to take down the suspect based on a generic description of an old man driving a Mustang with Alberta plates. Alton disagreed. The officer testifying he was 110% confident in his actions. During the trial, Global News has reported on crucial audio and video evidence which has been played in open court. Counsel for the media has now made an application for a copy of that evidence. Madam Justice Ross is now considering when an appropriate time will be to hear that application. Romina Dea, Global News. The U.S. Department of Justice has charged four executives of a Vancouver-based payment processor in what's being called a massive international fraud scheme. Until September 2016, the four were all top managers at PacNet. The DOJ alleges the company was used by scammers to process payments from victims of a number of international mass mail fraud campaigns. Roseanne Day, Robert Paul Davis, Genevieve René Frappier and Miles Kelly have each been charged with one count of conspiracy to commit mail and wire fraud, one count of conspiracy to commit money laundering, and multiple counts of mail fraud and wire fraud. Each charge carries a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. What a difficult day at a Victoria-area middle school after a grade 8 student was killed by a falling tree while at a wilderness camp. It happened Wednesday afternoon at Camp Bernard near Souk. Two teens were under the tree when it fell. A 13-year-old was pronounced dead at the scene. 
The second boy was rushed to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. A critical incident team was at Lansdowne Middle School to help friends, classmates and teachers deal with their shock and grief. The Sukar CMP, school district and coroner service have all started investigations. Anytime there's a tragic event, um, following the event, we go through an investigation for sure to find out exactly what happened on that day. Um, and, and looking at safety as our number one concern. Could anything have been different? Um, is there anything we need to be aware of? Anything that has to be changed? So we will actually be entering into a full investigation of what occurred. Um, and as those things evolve, knowing if there's any other safety pieces that could in place, we absolutely need to make sure our children are safe anytime, anywhere that they go. The boy who survived has since been released from hospital and is now recovering at home. The province has imposed an interim ban on resource development in parts of northeastern B.C. in an effort to protect the struggling caribou population. Both the provincial and the federal governments felt it was a necessary move. But Richard Zussman explains why many communities are now worried about their future. Flanked by a pair of ministers and a community liaison, Premier John Horgan laying out his next step to protect the province's caribou population. Yesterday, Cabinet approved a temporary moratorium on new resource development activity in the key areas of the draft partnership agreement. More than a thousand kilometres away, in the province's peace region, frustration is building over these caribou. Former Liberal Minister Blair Lextrom involved now after the province failed to properly consult with the community, which angered many. The concern that was expressed to me is how did we get to this point without our involvement? And when I say our involvement, that was a feeling from local governments, from the industry, from the backcountry users. The province will now take the two-year moratorium on mining and forestry development to design a new plan and reset the relationship. Communities are hoping to be properly consulted before a long-term caribou conservation plan is decided upon. Whenever one of the resource sectors are impacted, uh, we have concerns about it. And we're seeing that now beyond the caribou issue. Beyond the caribou means the ongoing problems plaguing the forestry sector. The industry pushing to ensure this two-year pause doesn't go beyond that. It's our strong hope that... Uh, the commitment from the Premier uh, and the advice from Blair Lextrom's report will allow us to revisit that partnership agreement and look for ways that we can mitigate the impact on the forest sector. The federal government classifying the region's caribou as threatened, not yet endangered. But for many companies who have plans of growing, this next step may prove challenging when balancing protecting the species and keeping jobs. But it just leads to more uncertainty for anybody that's got millions of dollars invested in industry and in, in whatever they're doing in those respective areas. Um, they won't know what to do. Investors uh, won't know what to do. It's going to chase investors away. All right, Richard Zussman joins us now uh, live. And Richard, a lot of concerns in the struggling forest industry, not just relating to the caribou. Chris, we've seen a number of curtailments and closures over the last few weeks. The expectation from the industry is we could see more coming up. A lot of this has to do with the pine beetle wood has now all gone through and the big damage from the last two summers because of the fires. 
This moratorium is just part of that. We're not expecting a lot of job losses because of it, but it adds on to the conversation. Also adding on to the conversation, discussions around a softwood lumber deal. Today, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Washington, D.C. to meet with President Donald Trump. Good news for the industry that the softwood lumber deal came up, but very far away from a deal at this point. And the industry is worried about what it means right now that we don't have that signed deal. Paying on average 20.23% tariffs is difficult for our sector. That's why we're working to diversify our markets. But it's still going to be uh, difficult times for us, uh, given the construct of the, the uh, uh, tariffs that we have now in place. Trudeau and Trump have shown, Chris, that they're able to get to a deal with the new NAFTA accord, but that hasn't been ratified yet. Softwood lumber, though, still way down that list in terms of priorities between the two countries, though. At least a good sign that came up today. Uh, no doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Richard Zussman in Victoria tonight. Well, it turns out you'll have to wait a little longer to enjoy a beer or a glass of wine aboard a B.C. ferry. A pilot project set to begin this month on three vessels traveling between Swartz Bay and Tawasson has been delayed indefinitely. B.C. Ferry says it's still waiting for approval of its liquor license. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but two government agencies should maybe get on the phone. At this point, there is no indication of when that will happen, but a new launch date will be announced as soon as it gets the license. Right now, though, expect a busy weekend in Vancouver as the Canucks host the NHL draft. The event, not only a big deal for hockey fans, but a big economic boost to the city in spin-offs. Aaron MacArthur is downtown with more on the excitement and the influx of people expected. Aaron? Yeah, Chris, the NHL draft is the one time a year the whole hockey community converges on the same city at the same time. Hosting it is a huge shot in the arm economically for a city. But good luck. The outside of Rogers Arena, getting a quick facelift. Getting in to see what happens on draft day, a pipe dream for most fans. Tickets that were listed at less than 30 bucks are now online for 170. Even ticket brokers say that's too much. Kingsley Bailey says the tickets should have been free for fans. The prices, I can't justify selling tickets for those kind of prices and trying to make a profit. But I'm not going out of my way to sell this event. St. Louis Blues select from U.S. National Team Development Program. The draft is more than just young men in ill-fitting suits getting their shot at the NHL. It's big business. All the NHL teams in town, plus media, plus fans, the economic benefit for Vancouver is enormous. More than 20,000 hotel nights have been booked, and the total economic spin-off will be in the millions of dollars. So not only from hotels, but to restaurants. Restaurants are putting out today, you know, make your reservations, get out there, because they're also here to celebrate, right? What's more, with an estimated TV audience near one million, it gives Vancouver a chance to shine and solidify its role as a destination for big events. We have great business events, but there's not necessarily the media following them. So that opportunity where sport tourism can really showcase the city uh, really drives opportunities for impressions and just to visitors. This is why you need to come, especially when we're having weather like this. The Cardinals select Kyler Murray. While other sports like the NFL have turned its draft into a massive fan party, the NHL continues to run its draft with fans largely as an afterthought. What happens during the week outside of the arena is where the real value for people can be found. Yeah, round one of the draft, Friday night, the fans in attendance on the edge of their seat, likely hoping the Canucks meet their expectations with the 10th overall pick. Chris?
All right. Thanks very much, Aaron MacArthur in downtown Vancouver for us. Going to be a big show. Shocking new numbers reveal a whopping increase in teen vaping in Canada. The survey shows a jump of 74% in just one year. The Canadian Cancer Society is calling on the government to do more and fast. But as Jordan Armstrong reports, the province is saying no to one key recommendation. You hold a button. Yeah. And you inhale. That's it. If you think more Canadians, especially teens, are vaping, there's research that says you're right. Recent changes in the availability of more uh, advanced vaping products seems to be translating into very significant numbers of young people vaping. The study, led by a professor from the University of Waterloo, found the number of youth aged 16 to 19 who reported vaping in the last month rose from 8.4% in 2017 to 14.6% in 2018, a 74% increase in one year. That's incredibly concerning, and we need to have a response to that by federal and provincial governments. It's not just vaping that's up. More teens are lighting up. The study found conventional cigarette use increased from 10.7% in 2017 to 15.5% last year. From them vaping, it caused them to start smoking cigarettes now. And uh, not exactly sure why. It's probably the nicotine. We're asking Health Minister Adrian Dix to increase the minimum age for both tobacco products and vaping products from 19 to 21 something that's been done in 16 American states. But B.C.'s health minister says the province has no plans to follow suit. Instead, he wants the feds to restrict advertising, nicotine concentrations, and flavored vaping liquids. So we have to battle that by this, in the same way that we battled uh, addiction to tobacco, providing people with information, having young people especially lead the campaign, and that's what we intend to do. Is it better than smoking? I feel it is. Cigarettes will kill me, vaping won't. Doctors say e-cigarettes are safer, but not harmless. Nicotine is highly addictive and has a range of health risks, including inhibiting brain development in young people. We have uncertainties about what the long-term health consequences may be. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. And here's another danger. A case is coming to light of an exploding e-cigarette that seriously injured a Nevada teenager. It happened in March of last year, but is profiled now in the New England Journal of Medicine. The explosion, as you can tell from this image, shattered the 17-year-old's jaw, knocked out several teeth, and tore a hole through his gums. He needed multiple surgeries, but apparently is now fully recovered. An exploding battery is the suspected cause. Tributes in B.C. and in Ottawa tonight for a member of Parliament who has lost his short battle with cancer. Langley Aldergrove Conservative MP Mark Warawa died at the age of 69, and Neetu Garcha spoke to his family today. Well, the longtime Langley Aldergrove MP had only recently announced he was battling pancreatic cancer. So you can imagine it is a very difficult day at his office here in Langley, which is where Mark Warwa's family spoke to Global News. He and his wife, Diane, have five children and ten grandchildren standing beside his mother and his younger brother. Warwa's son, Ryan, told Global News his father always made time for his family. Here's some of what he had to say just hours after his father had passed. 
All five of us kids were there for our father on Father's Day one final time. It's knitting us together very closely as a family. Um, I, don't, I can't think of how many times I've said I love you to each of my family members over and over and uh, how many uh, hugs and just uh, precious moments we've had together. A book of condolences is being made available inside the office, which we're told he designed himself about 10 years ago. His desk now sits empty, but colleagues say they're full of gratitude for having worked with a man they remember as being protective, principled, and who stood firm in his values while listening to and respecting everyone's opinion. I remember when he hired me, he said it would be an honour if you would work for me. And I always remembered those words. I couldn't work for a person for 15 years if I didn't respect his integrity. And that's what Mark exuded all the time. Warwa was a vocal social conservative, serving in a variety of roles. His final statement to constituents reads, It has been an incredible honour to have served my community since being elected federally in 2004. Tributes have been pouring in online, including from Conservative leader Andrew Scheer, who calls Warwa an example to which all parliamentarians should aspire and a strong defender of his principles. In lieu of flowers, relatives are asking donations be sent to organizations like the Langley Hospice Society, which sent a statement to Global News saying the community has lost more than a politician, but an advocate who kept palliative care issues in the minds of decision makers. Now, a public celebration of life is being planned for July 5th at the Christian Life Assembly here in Langley. Relatives are asking any messages of remembrance be sent to his office here on 222nd Street in Langley. Now, Warwa was a devout Christian, and his family says his address is now in heaven. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Langley. Tensions between the U.S. and Iran and fears of war at their highest level in a long time tonight after Iran's Revolutionary Guard shot down an American surveillance drone. It's the first time the Islamic Republic has directly attacked the U.S. military, and it has Donald Trump threatening some dire consequences. This new Pentagon video shows smoke trailing from an American drone after it was shot down by Iran. Its latest and most dangerous provocation, risking retaliation from the United States. Mr. President, will you strike Iran, sir? Will you? Defense officials call the strike on the $110 million unmanned surveillance drone an unprovoked attack in international waters, building the case by releasing this map. It shows the drone's location in the middle of a key strategic waterway, the Strait of Hormuz, well away from Iran's coastline. But Iran claims the drone was in its territory. Hello, Releasing this video, it says, of its missile taking out the drone. Iran made a big mistake. Uh, this drone was in international waters, clearly. We have it all documented. It's the president's not ruling out some kind of military action with an already volatile region on edge, but he's seeming to suggest a way out, pinning blame not on the entire Iranian government, but maybe a misguided general. I find it hard to believe it was intentional, if you want to know the truth. I think that it could have been somebody who was uh, loose and stupid that did it. We had nobody in the drone. Would have made a big difference, let me tell you. Would have made a big, big difference. Iran's latest escalation comes after the U.S. accused it of attacking six oil tankers. And Iraqi officials say Iran fired a rocket at an ExxonMobil plant there just this week. The U.S. has sent a thousand more troops to the region to try to deter the regime. Lawmakers wondering where this goes next? Huddling at the White House late today. We must act in a way that does de-escalate. 
and does not escalate the, te- the tensions and the situation there. A special event in Vancouver today to mark World Refugee Day as new figures show Canada is world leader in resettling people who are displaced. Did you make all of this? Yes, yes. What, yes what's your I... favorite one? Part of the celebration of refugees today at the Vancouver Public Library is this marketplace where refugees who've resettled in B.C. were able to sell their creations. New figures today from the United Nations show Canada admitted more refugees than any other country last year, more than 28,000, or 30% of all refugees resettled worldwide. There are more than 70 million refugees worldwide right now. In Health Matters tonight, if your workout is becoming too much of a chore, you might want to change up the music. New research from UBC Okanagan says upbeat music can make a rigorous workout seem less tough, even for people who don't exercise on a regular basis. The study found that while high-intensity interval training has been proven to be beneficial, many people find it too grueling. But the study found that people who listened to upbeat music were more likely to stick with it. A campaign is underway tonight to preserve forever another piece of pristine B.C. wilderness. Linda Aylesworth tells us how the B.C. Parks Foundation wants to save a piece of the coast not all that far from downtown Vancouver. There are countless breathtakingly beautiful sites along the BC coast, but few match the majesty of Princess Louisa Inlet. It's one of the last pristine, untouched, unblemished uh, fjords in the coast of British Columbia. It takes 40 minutes to get there by air, but it's boaters who most often enjoy the privilege of visiting this place. They love boating. It's just such a beautiful spot, so tranquil and, you know, the waterfalls. Chatterbox Falls, at the end of the inlet, is framed by towering cliffs. The cliffs that we can see up here are uh, about 2,000 feet uh, higher than the, the highest granite cliffs in Yosemite National Park. So you probably get the idea that this is a special place. But there are fears that that could change, because a 4,000 hectare portion of the inlet, three parcels of land that span nearly four and a half kilometres of waterfront, recently came up for sale. The, the problem here is that because it's a private piece of land, it could be bought by a logging company, and there is interest by local logging companies to come here and put some roads in or, or heli log, but certainly clear-cut everything you see here. Enter the BC Parks Foundation. We are hoping to buy it inside the BC Parks Foundation, and then transfer it to BC Parks, so it'll become a part of the heritage of British Columbia forever. We have an exclusive uh, offer for purchase and sale with a vendor, and uh, they've been kind enough to give us that until the end of August. The price tag, $3 million. They've already raised two-thirds of the total. That leaves $1 million to go. Like if I was Kawhi Leonard, I'd say, yeah, man, you know, we take it one day at a time. <laughs> So, so that's what we're doing. We're just, it's, it's, you know, it's every $50 donation, it's $100, it's, you know, and it grows and grows. Basically, the whole fjord would be protected if we can do this. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. This magical moment from last night's NHL Awards that had a young hockey fan and almost everyone else watching in tears coming up right after the forecast. All right, we'll check in now with Christy and... Uh, 
Yeah, I could watch slow-mo lightning all day long, and you've got a great one. <laughs> Agreed, especially when it's on the Squamish Chief. This is right. a great shot. Look at this one. Yeah, so uh, we had a number of thunderstorms across the region yesterday. We will talk about our forecast in a second. One part of the province saw snow again today. I'll show you that in a second. But I wanted to show you some of these images. This was a thunderstorm near uh, Kamloops. Some incredible shots coming. A lot of people send us these photos. And these billowy, bubbly clouds that you see underneath this thunderstorm are quite ominous looking. They're called mamatus clouds. And the reason why they're called that is actually derived from the Latin term mama, which uh, is or breast, actually, and you can imagine why. And I have an explanation as to how those are created. You don't always get them in thunderstorm clouds, but they are pretty neat to see. Uh, so check it out online. I've got an explanation there. You can also check out my Twitter page, and that will direct you to that online uh, uh, page. And we've got lots of weather stories online, so you may want to check that out. This, yes, Okanagan Connector saw snow again this afternoon. Not a lot, and we are going to see it ease off this evening. But if you don't need to travel, this evening. Wait until tomorrow. Uh, conditions will be a whole bunch better. We've had a pulse of moisture actually from the northeast and that has spread those showers into the Fraser Valley, but they haven't made their way into Metro Vancouver and they likely won't, although we had that slight chance uh, this evening. All of the moisture though falling in Alberta and there's even a snowfall warning, but it is some good moisture, that's for sure. It's not the soaker that we need and tomorrow it's going to ease off. We change over to summer tomorrow at 8.54 a.m. and it's going to feel like summer in most areas, not only tomorrow, but we'll see that on Saturday as well. So two great days on the way before the showers move back in, the well-needed showers move back in on Sunday. And I'll give you one last shot of those mamatus clouds, Chris. Really ominous, but uh, interesting-looking clouds. Yeah, I, and I'm interested to read the, uh, the mm -hmm. reason that they form online. Thank you very much. The highlight of the evening from last night's NHL awards in Las Vegas had nothing to do with the players getting recognized. Hockey fans had selected this moment from February as the feel-good moment of the year. 11-year-old Anderson Whitehead from Brampton, Ontario, meeting his favorite player, Montreal goalie Carey Price. Now, Anderson's mother had worked tirelessly to set up the meeting, but she died of cancer before it happened. So on stage at last night's awards, Anderson thought he was watching Price on video. It was very special to me. But hold up, hold up, hold up. Where is he going? He didn't finish his message. How about that? Just as he did during their first meeting, Price hugged Anderson, told him everything's okay, gave him a jersey, and to top it all off, invited him to next year's All-Star Game. What a moment. I also understood that he gave him his cell phone number and said, if you ever need someone to talk to, you call me. That's great. Mm-hmm. a good DC like boy there. Sure is, yeah. Gary Price. Yeah, great guy. Can I just give you a good safety tip? Never do this with this thing to your finger because oh. it really hurts. Yeah, that's. I don't know why I did it, but I thought I'd show it to you. Okay. Uh, two years, 12 mil, that's good money. Well, I know that's what you make, but uh, Alex Hedler <laughs> makes that too now. Uh, he was given a new two year contract by the Canucks, which was the classic give and take deal. Edler wanted three years, the Canucks wanted two. So Vancouver got its way there. In exchange for that, Another no-trade clause for Alex Edler. He can veto any deal, just like in his previous contract. And he gets $6 million a year, a $1 million raise. Uh, the no-trade 
is all, I know why they give it out. It's the price of doing business, but it's dangerous. If someone offers you something great for the player, you can't take it. But the Canucks love Edler as much as he loves the Canucks. And two years means they can reevaluate when some of their other players need new deals. We wanted that because in a couple years we have uh, Petey up for contract, uh, Quinn Hughes, Demko, so that worked better for us. And it obviously worked for Alex Edler, who really had no interest in testing the free agent market because he has no interest in being anything but a Vancouver Canuck. I think the fact he's played his whole career here, um, you know, his wife's from here and family, and, and this is, you know, kind of all he knows when we've asked him at various times at the, at the deadline if he would waive his no trade. He's always wanted to be a Vancouver Canuck. And you can bet the Canuck players are happy about him staying too, even the ones who don't know him as well. You know, I, I was only there for five games, but I know it'd definitely feel really weird if he wasn't there, so... Um, Definitely happy he's back. But because Edler is 33 and rather injury prone, the Canucks are looking to acquire another veteran defenseman for next season. You know, if we can, um, you know, another player through trades or free agency to shore up our back end. So um, we're going to continue to work hard at that. If David Bowie's old song, Young Americans, was played during the first round of tomorrow's NHL draft, it would be most appropriate because most of the top prospects are just that, young Americans, who all play on the same development team most of the year. Jack Hughes is the best known of the Americans, but there are plenty of others whose names will be called in round one of the draft. Most of them play together on the U.S. development team, which is stacked with all the best American talent. There's a shot from Hughes. He scores. That was the best decision I've ever made, probably. Um, deciding to go there. I mean, the training, second to none. I think my hockey game just popped, flew through the roof. Sometimes practice is more harder than games, as weird as that sounds, but... Um, I mean, it doesn't really surprise me with all the talent we had. We had so many excellent players on our team. They've got seven, eight, nine guys that could go in the first round or the top ten of the top 40. I mean, that, that's, that's a generational team. The American development program has been dominating the top of the NHL draft for a while. Austin Matthews is an alumni. So is Patrick Kane, Jack Eichel, the Canucks' Quinn Hughes. Uh, you know, it makes him, like, develop earlier than a normal kid. Like, my brother Luke's going there next year. I'm excited for him. And, um, you know, it's a perfect spot where if you want to take advantage of everything the program's giving you, then um, you can become a pretty good player. The NBA held its draft tonight. No surprise, Zion Williamson, number one to the New Orleans Pelicans. Big night for Canadians, Toronto's R.J. Barrett, third overall. He is a New York Nick. The Raptors didn't have a first-round pick because they traded it away for Kawhi Leonard, and that worked out pretty well. We'll see how well R.J. Barrett works out with the New York Knicks. Major League Baseball, had, look at that, Tim Raines. Major League Baseball has given the Tampa Bay Rays permission to study an idea where they would split home games with the city of Montreal. If that was to happen, the early part of the season would be played in Tampa. And when it gets too hot, they'd move the team and all the games to Montreal. Both cities would build new ballparks for this plan. The Rays get small crowds in Tampa. Part of it is their stadium is awful. Their team isn't bad. Their stadium is brutal. 
Montreal hasn't had a team since 2004 when the Expos left for Washington. Maybe they could call them the Montreal Tampa X-Rays. Get it? Nice. Thank I you. see what you did Thank there. Thank you very much. I see what you did. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let's see how Christine St. Clair in Canada did in their final round. Robin against the Netherlands at the Women's World Cup. Winner gets first in the group. Jordan Heidema of Chilliwack. She scores. Oh, she was offside. Darn. Still scoreless. Uh, Anouk Decker, though, gets the first goal for the ladies in orange. Netherlands up 1-0. But then... It's Becky. Now it's Jordan Heitemer. The scoring machine that is Christine Sinclair comes through. Knocks that nice pass from Ashley Lawrence in. This would tie it in the 60th minute. 1-1. Mistake on the defensive end for Canada, though. And Lyneth Bierenstein would make them pay. 2-1. And she is most happy with herself. The Netherlands wins 2-1. So Canada and Sweden in the knockout stage on June 24th. That'll be the game. You lose, you're out. You win, you stay in from now on. Bars will be packed for that one. There you go. No doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Squire. Here's Coming up on ET Canada, your guilty pleasure, The Hills, is back. But which TV star is replacing Lauren Conrad? Plus, where would the Spider-Man cast in London? And how about those romance rumors? That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. All right, Carlos, thank you. Well, it's one of the many everyday activities most of us take for granted that can be challenging or even impossible for children and adults with autism. We're talking about grocery shopping. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, the Save on Foods chain is the latest to make some changes to make it easier. Loud noises and bright lights can be painful and overwhelming, especially for many on the autism spectrum, making a simple trip to the grocery store challenging. The things that we take for granted, like lighting, um, background noise such as music, comes overwhelming for them. But now there's sensory-friendly shopping, just introduced at Save on Foods in Carisdale with the help of Autism BC. Every other Thursday, between 6 and 8 p.m., the lights are dimmed. Music is muted. The PA system off-limits. think for families and, um, and even adults on the spectrum who do have those sensory processing challenges, that uh, these little changes in the store that they can implement can really make a big difference. It's a first in Vancouver, coming after a Langley Safeway launched sensory-friendly shopping earlier this year. I think it's fantastic. I think it's wonderful that, um, you know, an organization is taking charge. I think it's really a good idea. I didn't really know what it was all about to start with, but I think it's, it's very good. I am excited to see what, what happens and how we do and, and take feedback and critique for the next time. Eventually, Save on Foods may expand the pilot project to all of its 110 stores in B.C., Promising news for the province's 60,000 people living with autism. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Great story. Yeah, I like that. Okay, last word on weather before we go. Sure, so still showers out in the Fraser Valley right now, but it's mostly dry in Metro Vancouver. We'll see the skies clear overnight. And how about that for your first day of summer? Happy summer. <laughs> always, everyone always says, it's not the first full day of summer when it trends in. But uh, I call it the on. first day of summer. Well, that's oh, splitting good. hairs. We're <laughs> not know. splitting yeah. hairs here. That's good. Uh, very quickly, happy anniversary, Janie. 
I'm happy so anniversary. happy anniversary. I'm so glad your dad played rugby and let me into the Oh, family. happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to me and Janie. There you go. And Jay Janauer and Monique, too, I believe. We're, wow, everybody got married I, the same day. That's I believe we're anniversary twins. I may be wrong, but I think so. Thanks for watching, folks. Good night.